0: Well, good morning. Great to be with you all. My name is Rob, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's just wonderful to be here at Fellowship Franklin this morning. Thank you guys for being a part of this worship service already. It's been a great worship service. I couldn't be more excited about this study through the book of Acts and the text that Joe just read is our text this morning. I'm eager to jump in. Before I do, let me just give you a couple of brief announcements. If you're visiting with us this morning, thanks for being here. I hope you were welcomed on your way in. I want to ask if you would turn to this open part of your program that says for our guests in the center. We've got some information there for you. If you want to let us get to know you, we'd love to get to know you and get, answer any questions you have. You can turn that in at the connect point on your way out, which is in the lobby on the right side. You'll see a sign for that. Anyone at all in the room that has a prayer request, please write that down, fill it out. We'd love to pray for you. You can hand that in as well at the connect point on your way out. Uh, I wanted to also mention that tomorrow begins our 40 days of prayer and fasting that accompanies our study of the book of Acts. Now, I want to set the stage. If you were here last week, Lloyd talked about this a little bit, of why we're going to do this. But we're in a season of our church right now of renewal. And that's one of the reasons we're studying the book of Acts. It's also the primary reason that we're going to engage in this season of prayer and fasting together. Now, the prayer and the fasting is not just for the corporate body of fellowship. It is that. But it's also for all of us. There is never a wrong time. To fall on our knees and go before God for an extended period of time and just say, God, I, I need some renewal in me, in my spiritual life, in my walk with you. Would you do that? Would you birth something new in me? Would you breathe by your spirit sort of a, a fresh sense of vitality in my walk with Christ? So that's what we're going to be praying for. And I want to invite you to do a couple of things. Number one, I'm going to ask the ushers if they would to come back, back down. They're going to, this time, pass some baskets that have something in them for you to take. I'd like each person to grab one of these. It's a little pamphlet. It says 40 days of prayer and fasting. So the ushers are going to come down. And I'm going to be talking for a few minutes. You'll have plenty of time to, gra- to grab one of these. Excuse me. When you, take, um, when you grab one of these, I want you to go ahead and open it up. And this is going to walk you through what we're going to be doing as a church for the next 40 days and how you can be involved in it. It's got a section about why we pray, a section around why we fast, Uh, And then um, it's got a couple things that I want to alert your attention to, and I know not all of you have a copy of this, and that's fine. I'm going to put some information up on the screen. Let's go ahead and put on the side screens here if we can um, this. If you have a phone with you and you would like to be a part of this 40 days of prayer, text... Fellowship Fast. That's the message. Put that in the message line to 555-888. You can just go ahead and do that right now. And what that's going to do is it's going to opt you in. And every day you're going to get one text message, just one message a day. That text message is going to have a link that you can click on and it'll take you to a website, a webpage for that day that's going to have a guide to your prayer time. And so what's exciting about this is we as a church across three campuses, Franklin, Brentwood and Nashville are all going to be praying the same things throughout the 40 days and the way we're going to do that is through this daily text message that will come. Now if you don't text or you'd prefer not to get the messages but you still want to participate you can go to our website fellowshipbiblechurch.com and you'll see on the front page a link that will take you to sign up and you can put your email address in and you'll get an email every day rather than a text every day. So you got a couple options. You can get the text on your phone or you can get the email to your email address if you go on our website. So that's how the prayer is going to work. Every day you'll get this text, you'll get this email and it'll take you to a link and that link is going to explain here's exactly how you're going to go about praying for this day. Now let's talk about the fasting for a minute. If you notice in this handout I think most of you have one of these now. It's got a little tear-off flap here at the back. It says 40 days of prayer and fasting, and it's got what looks kind of like a calendar. And you'll notice it doesn't match the actual physical calendar. It begins tomorrow on October 9th, and it lands on November 17th. We are going to ask that each person pick a day to fast. Now, if you want to choose more than one, you certainly can. And just circle that day or put a check mark on that day to remind yourself Then you can tear that off. You're not going to turn it in. You're just going to keep it. It's a nice size for a bookmark. Maybe as we go through the study of Acts together, you could put it in your car, put it in your fridge, your bathroom mirror, whatever's going to remind you. you know, set a, set an alarm on your calendar to remind you on your phone, this is the day I'm going to fast. Now, we have instructions on the website and a little bit in this pamphlet about how to fast. Uh, obviously, if you have a medical condition and you don't need to skip a meal, don't skip a meal. Most people would take a, a full day to fast. Uh, others might say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to skip a meal or I'm just going to fast for one meal. Some of you might say, listen, it might be better for me if I just fast from a for certain uh, type of food for these 40 days or for a period of time in here. However you want to engage this, the purpose of fasting is to make sure we understand that God is our provision. God is the one that supplies all of our needs. And it, even when those hunger pains come, it reminds us to pray. So, And, and by the way, fasting in the scripture is, is never by itself without being accompanied with prayer. With prayer. It's fasting and prayer. It's prayer and fasting. So that's how this is going to work. Um, tonight... Is a very special event at our Brentwood campus, which all of Fellowship is invited to, Franklin, Brentwood, and Nashville. We're going to kick off this whole 40 day season of prayer and fasting with a night of worship. And it's a family night of worship. We do have childcare available, I think, for four years old and y- younger. But if you've got kids that are older than four, bring them into the worship center uh, tonight at 6 p.m. And we're going to kick off this uh, time of prayer and fasting tonight with a a worship experience that I I know is going to be wonderful. So I hope you can join us for that. Let me pray for us really briefly before we get into our text. And uh, let me just pray for this season that we're entering into. Father, I thank you for calling us as a church to this. And I actually believe that the fruit of this dedicated time of prayer and fasting, as we depend upon you and look to you, the fruit is going to be remarkable for our church corporately, but also for individuals that call fellowship their home. And I pray, God, that you would just invite us in, uh, that we would have hearts that would be open to participate in this, to seek after you, to ask your spirit to control us as we pray, as we move. God, as we were just singing about, would our whole lives be consecrated or set apart for you? That's our prayer as we enter into this season. Thank you for this body. Thank you for these men and women. Thank you for this text that you've given us this morning that is so alive and full of power. And I pray, Father, that even as I speak, your spirit would be speaking through the text yet again, as you have been for 2,000 years. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's dive in. Acts chapter 2. Now, Lloyd did a Fantastic job of setting this series up last week. If you missed it, I would strongly encourage you to go to the website, listen to the audio of that. We also do a podcast. You can find that, Fellowship Franklin. But Lloyd kicked off the series of Acts, and he covered, uh, let's see, the first, I think, 11 verses of chapter 1. Now, we're going to go to chapter 2 today. Lloyd mentioned last week, in this book of Acts study, we're not going to cover every single verse in the book. The reason we're doing that is because it's 28 chapters. And if we spent time in every single verse like we did through Mark, we'd be in it for over two years. We are going to be in it for about five or six months. So it's not going to be a real short study. We are going to take a break for our Advent series and then pick it back up and go until Easter is our plan in the book of Acts. So we're, we're going to dive into most of the passages, but we can't hit every one. So let me summarize what's happened between verse 12 of chapter 1 to the beginning of chapter 2. As you recall, we left off with this sort of command or this this commissioning of Jesus to his disciples in Acts 1, verse 8, the most important verse in the entire book of Acts. Let's look at that again. We'll put Acts 1, 8 back on the screen. This is what Jesus tells the disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And as Lloyd reminded us last week, this one verse forms the outline of the whole rest of the book. The gospel is going to start in Jerusalem. Then it's going to go to the surrounding area, Judea and Samaria. Then it's going to eventually go to the remotest part of the earth, which at that time, Rome was the capital where every tribe, every tongue, every nation would have contact from Rome. And that's, of course, where the book of Acts is going to end, in the city of Rome. Now, that verse that I just read is the DNA for the church. What God commissioned the original disciples to do is still what he's commanding us to do. The mission doesn't end at the book of Acts. That's why I I love thinking about this book as kind of an open-ended book about church history. So Acts gives us the first 30 years of church history... Then we have 2,000 years of church history, and we get to 2017, and it's still going. The message is still going out to the remotest parts of the earth. And of course, from their perspective, Franklin, Tennessee would have been the remotest parts of the earth. And now it's our responsibility to keep the message going out right here in our Jerusalem, so to speak, the surrounding area of Middle Tennessee, and then out And beyond to the world. Now, the focus of the text today, as you already heard from Joe's reading, is the Holy Spirit. Like, this is a very significant moment in time in the history of the church, what what Joe read. In fact, I'd say it's a significant moment in the history of the world, right? Everything sort of um, comes together in this one moment as the Holy Spirit is imparted on this early church. And I'll say this. There's so much confusion and, dare I say, even controversy in our church today about the Holy Spirit. Many of you in the room, as soon as you heard that passage read, like you kind of like grouped yourself in one of two camps, okay? And I know there's a lot of us in the middle, but some of you are like, "Man, I'm a little bit uncomfortable when we talk about the Holy Spirit too much, and when we sing songs, you know, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here." It's like, like, what, what, what are we, what are we trying to do? You know, are we trying to go emotionalism? Are we going to go charismatic? Like, like, what's this emphasis on the Holy Spirit? It's just a little bit of uncomfortability because you know maybe it's just not the kind of church environment that you grew up in that emphasizes the Spirit. And honestly, we don't the Spirit a whole lot here at Fellowship. Probably not enough, if you think about it. It is uh, an important part of Scripture, and the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, as Lloyd reminded us last week. Now, there's another side over here. Some of you are like, man, I grew up in a church where it was all Spirit and all fire and all tongues and maybe snakes or whatever. I don't know. And you're like, it's about time that we started talking about the Holy Spirit here at Fellowship. And then, of course, there's a lot of us in the middle. Let me just give you a couple thoughts um, as we think through these, these two polls. Uh, number one, this passage is not going to answer every question and every issue that you may wonder about relating to the Holy Spirit. Far from it. This is not a topical study on the Holy Spirit this morning. And our whole study of Acts is not a topical study on the Holy Spirit. We are going to stick to the text that we have. The text is filled with the Holy Spirit obviously. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning, but we're not going to answer every question that you have. Secondly, as you've already heard, uh, this text is also about the gift of tongues. And that opens up a lot of questions. And this passage is not going to answer every question you have about the gift of tongues this morning. We are going to address it as it relates to this one text and I'll I'll reference a couple other things but by and large we're going to stick to the text that we have uh, this morning and and there'll be some questions that you have that we will not have a chance to to answer but what we are planning later in the series is we're planning to kind of take a pause from our study in the text and talk more about the Holy Spirit which will include the gifts of the Holy Spirit as well so we are going to take some time later in the series to get to that. So those of you that are eager, just hang in there a little bit longer. Now, what will this text help us with? All right, if it's not going to answer every question about the Spirit and about tongues, what will it help us with? It'll help us understand how the Spirit empowers us to live out our highest purpose as human beings, which is, you know, you know from last week in Acts 1.8, your highest purpose as a human being is so that you would be a witness of Christ. And uh, Lloyd last week asked a profound question. He said, it's a simple yes or no question. It's okay if you say no, if that's where you are, but we would invite you to embrace a yes answer to this question. The question was this, will you make yourself to be an available witness in the coming year? And he said, if you're willing to say yes to that question, hold on, hold on. And here's what I'd say in response to that. A proper understanding of the Spirit's role in your life, particularly as it relates to being a witness of Christ, is crucial for you to actually live out your core purpose of being a witness. In our context today, I think many of us approach our spirituality without much thought about the Spirit. Isn't that ironic? You know How's your spiritual life? And where our brain first you know, immediately goes is, well, it's uh, how many quiet times did I have? And am, am I focused on my disciplines? And am I putting forth enough effort? And all that's part of it. But when we talk about our spiritual lives, there should be some understanding and some recognition about the role of the spirit that he's playing in us as he is transforming us. It would almost be like sitting in the driver's seat of a car and pretending to drive without to ever turning the ignition. You know, I don't know how many of you have um, kids that are younger than driving age. I do. And and every now and then they'll want to sit in my lap and, you know, do this to the steering wheel. And I'll just tell them, don't touch this button. Don't touch this button. And I take the key out of the ignition, right? And it's fun for them because they're pretending that they're driving, but they're not going to go anywhere until that engine is turned on. And for a lot of us, our spiritual lives are a little bit like that. It's like, I go to church. I give a little money. But I don't feel like I'm really going anywhere. And so it could be that the role of the Spirit is something that we actually need to pay more attention to if we want to have the power, if we want to turn the engine on, so to speak. And we'll talk about what we can apply to our lives from this text about the arrival of the Spirit. Okay. Long enough intro, right? Let's jump into the text. I'm just going to take it a a verse or two at a time and sort of pause and talk about it. So let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, let's answer a couple questions before we go on to verse 2. Number one, who is they? All the followers of Jesus. So there were 11 disciples. They added one more, Matthias. You see that at the end of chapter 1. He took Judas's place, so now there's 12 again. And they're waiting for the Spirit to come. Where are they? We know they're together in one place. We don't know where that was. There is a reference back in uh, chapter 1, verse 13, to an upper room. It's likely they were there. It might even be the same upper room where Jesus washed the feet, had the Passover supper, and uh, you know, told them he was going to die that evening. It could very well be that same upper room. But they're somewhere in Jerusalem. They're all together. They're waiting. Now, you need to know a little bit about Pentecost for this passage to come alive. Okay? We think of Pentecost as Christians only as this day in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit came. I guarantee Almost all of you in the room, if you hear the word Pentecost, that's what you think of pretty much exclusively. That's what I used to think of before I kind of studied sort of the the Jewish feasts and all the traditions in Jewish history. Pentecost had been, at the time that, that this event happened, had been for thousands of years an annual celebration that was instituted in the Old Testament. It's a feast. In fact, it is celebrating the first fruits of the grain harvest. It comes 50 days after Passover. That's where you get the name Pentecost, you know, prefix for 5 or you know, in this case 50. They would go to the temple, there were certain special sacrifices that they would say, "Hey, the grain harvest is starting to come in. We want to thank the giver of the harvest and we give these special sacrifices to honor God." It was also called the Feast of Weeks. Now, interestingly, it had come over time And certainly before the time of Christ, it had come to also commemorate the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, where, you remember, Moses went up, he got the Ten Commandments. Now, by the time that this Pentecost would have been celebrated in 33 AD, there would have been two things on the Jewish mind. Number one, thanksgiving for the first fruits of the grain harvest. Number two, thanksgiving for the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Why did they commemorate that event? At Pentecost, because we know from the history in Exodus that the law was given about seven weeks or about 50 days after Passover, the first Passover, when they were released from Egypt. So it would have happened around Pentecost. So it was about the same kind of time. So it's a, you know, a, a little bit like in a Christian holiday. We say, yeah, you know, we're, we're celebrating the, these couple of things together because they would have happened around the same period of time and it's an op- opportunity to commemorate them both. You're about to see why those two things really matter in the giving of the Spirit. We'll see that in just a minute. Let's jump into verse 2. We'll read, uh, we'll read 2 through 4 this time. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise. Like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. All right, there are three supernatural phenomena that accompany the giving of the Spirit. Let me interact with you. What was the first one? What's the first supernatural thing that happens here? The sound. What is it a sound like? The sound of like a violent wind or a rushing wind. Now, um, if you were here last week, Lloyd taught you the Greek word for spirit. It was right here in the center of the screen, the Greek word for spirit. Does anybody remember what the Greek word for spirit is? Just shout it out if you remember it. Numa that's exactly right with a silent p at the beginning p n e u m a would be how we would kind of uh, transliterate it into english numa numa as you recall is the same word in greek it not only means spirit it also means breath and it means wind so just imagine you're sitting in this upper room, it's Pentecost, you're thinking about Pentecost, but you're also thinking about Jesus' promise about 10 days earlier to wait in Jerusalem for the pneuma, for the breath, for the wind, the spirit, and you hear pneuma, you see, you hear a wind, and I just imagine they're praying, and all of a sudden they hear this sound, and they say, what is that? And the one says, it sounds like pneuma, and the other says, do you think this is The pneuma that Jesus promised, the breath, the spirit, you see. That's all here in this text. So that's the first supernatural phenomenon is this pneuma, this wind. All right, what's the second one? What's the second thing that happens that's sort of supernatural? Yes, exactly right. It's the fire. And in fact, in the text, it says, tongues as of fire distributing themselves rested on each one of them. When I was a kid, I was like, what is a, you know, I pictured a literal tongue but just like, you know, finally, like, we, like you know, what, what's going on here? And, you know, we still use this idea today for like a tongue of fire, or a flame of fire. Cause it's kind of shaped like a tongue a little bit. and It's kind of probably moving up and down. But just picture a flame, okay? I think there may be some significance to the fact that it's called a tongue. And later they're speaking in tongues. You know, we'll get to that. But, more, but, but by and large, it's just a little flame that's above all of them. Now, flame or fire was very significant and symbolic In Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament. Think about all the times that fire represents the presence of God. All right. I I was thinking about that. I remember just three off the top of my hand. Number one, Moses. He goes and he encounters God for the first time. He sees a bush, not just a normal bush. The bush is on fire and it's not being consumed. And that draws him to it. And then God out of the bush says, you know, take your sandals off because you're on holy ground. He realizes I'm in the presence of God in the fire. Think about when God would lead the Hebrew people through the wilderness. It was a pillar of of cloud by day, which, by the way, cloud also represents God's glory and presence all throughout the Scripture. And then at night, God's glory is no longer a cloud. They couldn't see that. It's now a flame, right? God's presence. They, They say, follow me. Where are you, God? We can't see you. Look to the flame. Look to the fire. My presence is in the fire, you see. And then, most importantly for our text... On the first day of Pentecost, if you want to think of it that way, like the the, the 50 days or so after the Exodus, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. If you go back and read that text, the mountain's on fire. And the smoke is billowing up. Again, the presence of God being represented by flame. In fact, Moses is the only one that goes up. The rest of the people have to stay behind the barrier. They can't even touch the side of the mountain or they'll be incinerated. So again, it's fire. In fact, when Moses comes back down eventually, he had to put a veil over his face because his whole face is glowing, you see, because he's been in the presence of God. So here you have this 33 AD Pentecost that's commemorating the giving of the law and you have the fire coming down, but this time not coming down on a mountain only for Moses. This time the fire comes down and divides itself and each individual person can approach. They no longer have to stay behind the barrier. It's not just God's one representative that can now experience the presence of God. It's all of God's people who have put their faith through Christ in the forgiveness of sins. Remember how that temple veil was torn to represent that now the presence of God is accessible through the blood of Jesus. And you see this symbolically happening. And when I say symbolically, I don't mean that it didn't literally happen. These flames literally were there, right? Why were they literally there? To symbolize the presence of God that is literally there. So that, that's what's happening with this flame. Now, this is huge. Because what this means is the powerful God who was unapproachable, except to Moses, is now with, is now indwelling, as we're going to come to find out, every single believer through Jesus Christ. The most important aspect of the coming of the Spirit, I'll say it this way, is, is not the miraculous power and the signs. The most important aspect of the coming of the Spirit of God is that God himself is now dwelling with people. From a Hebrew perspective, the most important thing you knew about God, besides his love and his power, was that he was untouchable. He was apart he was other you know and, and he is and he is you shouldn't be able to touch him but through the blood of Christ he comes and it's now accessible and, and the, the throne room gates are thrown open and you are now can waltz in the holy of holies in fact as you follow the text it's actually the holy of holies that's now in you if you're a believer in Christ right. we, we have to let this blow our minds sometime The implications are profound. You don't have to go through a ritual. You don't have to go through a priest. You can approach your Creator by your faith in Jesus. He is God with you, He's in you. You can talk to Him, you can be with Him, you can be on the lookout for His involvement and his guidance and his intervention in your life because he's just always there. There's never a time that he's not there. You just can't talk to him. It's it's this profound truth that we see in Scripture, and yet our day, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. And yet we have this reminder right here that we can look to to say, man, there's a fire, there's a flame above your head that represents the Spirit of God. And sometimes I wish that God would just give us eyes to see the reality that's actually there, right? We look through eyes of faith. Someday our faith will be sight. Now, I've slowed down a little bit too much on this second supernatural phenomenon of the flame because it's so significant representing the presence of God that is now with every single believer. Let's go to the third. What was the third sign or the third supernatural phenomenon that happened? Somebody shout it out. Yeah, they start speaking in the tongues. They start speaking in the tongues, verse 4. Okay, let's talk about the tongues. There's basically no debate that in this particular text, this is not an angelic language, a prayer language, a spiritual language. In this particular text, at least, these were actual known languages. No question at all, we're about to see sort of the, uh, the... The the purpose for these languages given. In fact, I haven't read these verses yet, but in verses 6 and 8, the Greek word is dialecto. Instead of languages, it's dialecto, dialect. There's no other interpretation, definition other than a literally known spoken dialect. And we're not going to have time to dive into the other texts um, that actually talk about tongues. Some of them I think it's a little less clear. But this one for sure is certainly clear. These are known dialects. Let's see the implications of that. And We're going to go pick it up in verse 5 and read all the way down through verse 11. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, now the sound now is the tongues, not, not the wind. When this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why? Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in our own language to which we were born? Uh, Then you get into all the hard names, you know. Joe did a really good job of pronouncing those. Uh, So let's let's call it a day. There we go. (laughs) Now, let me explain what's going on. If you recall, way back in the Old Testament... The Assyrians came in, conquered the northern kingdom. The Babylonians came in, conquered the Southern Kingdom, which included Jerusalem. And what did they do with the people? They took the people away. That was their strategy, so that they wouldn't, you know, rebuild power and rise up and you know revolt against them. They displaced the people. It only left a tiny little remnant back in Jerusalem. So what you have is all these Hebrew people scattered all over the known world at that time. That's called the diaspora. You know, you still hear about this today. It's the scattering all around the world, of the Hebrew people. By the time of Christ, some of those scattered ones, the the diaspora, had returned to their land, but most of them had not. But they had slowly kind of coming back, coming back, you know, even talk about that to this day, coming back to Israel, etc. Now, by the time of this first Christian Pentecost you had some folks in Jerusalem that were either there visiting because of the holiday or that had moved here, but that were born in some of these faraway lands. And some of them probably had not heard their native tribal language where they grew up. They probably hadn't heard that spoken since they were kids. And now suddenly they're hearing this spoken. And what's being spoken about? The glory of God. In fact, uh, let's look at verse 11. Let's put that on the screen if I can. Sorry, Charlie, I'm skipping around here. Uh, verse 11, Cretans and Arabs, this is kind of the end of the, the hard names. We hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Verse 11, that's what they're talking about. So this would be like today if I all of a sudden just miraculously broke out and started speaking Swahili. Like, perfect Swahili. And I chose that language because, like, who knows Swahili? I don't know. I mean, I know one word in Swahili, by the way. It's mzungu. Anyone know what mzungu means? Oh yes! Uncultured white guy. Yeah, uncultured white guy. So if anybody in the rooms actually speaks Swahili, and I'm like, boom, you know, what you'd say is like, who's this mzungu that's perfectly speaking Swahili without even a Tennessee accent? You know, it's, that's the level of miracle that this actually is. These were known tribal dialects, known languages that were being spoken. Now, you're about to see two reactions to this proclamation. And, and before I read it, note that these are the same two responses that you and I, even to this day, will always get when we speak of the glory of God. All right, let's take a look at them. Verse 12 is the first. And they all continued in amazement In great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Let's go ahead and read the second response. But others were mocking and saying they are full of sweet wine. I love that verse, sweet wine. Not just wine, sweet wine, Yeah, full of sweet wine. By the way, sweet wine just means it's the new wine that comes up and it's sweet, so you're more likely to get drunk from it because it's sweet, so you drink more of it. Right? So they're like, that just sounds like gibberish. Like the, the people that, that say it sounds like gibberish are the people that don't speak the languages. Right? So from their perspective, it sounds like nothing. But then there's a whole other group that says, I know that language. It's impossible that this Galilean would know that language. I haven't heard that language spoken anywhere other than my little area where I grew up in. What does this mean? Now, let's apply this to us. As you're out there being witnesses right which many of you said yes to last week as you're out there being witnesses you're going to get two responses there w- there are some that will hear you speak of what Christ has done in your life and the hope that you have the peace that you have the endurance that you have despite the ongoing challenges of life etc and they're going to say what does that mean they're going to see something. They're going to hear something that's going to say, there's, there's something about that, that that it doesn't make sense to me. What does that mean? In fact, this this word perplexity is a great word. It's like their brain is engaged, right? You don't, you're not perplexed about something that you don't care about, right? Your, your brain is puzzling over this. And there'll be some people that you share your story with, and they're going to be perplexed. And that's good news. And they're going to ask a question like, well, what does this mean? They're, they're open. This is kind of representative of the soft heart. You know, the, the good soil. And Jesus in the parable said, some of the seed that you cast will fall on good soil. Now, there will be others that will be hardened to whatever you tell them about what Christ has done in your life. And in fact, in this case, they begin mocking. Like, you're full of it. You know? In this case, you're full of sweet wine. You know, you're crazy. That's gibberish. That doesn't make sense, and I don't care about it. These are the people with the hard hearts. Doesn't matter what you say, some people are gonna reject you. You know, they're gonna turn away, either literally or at least internally, they're gonna turn away. And it's not your responsibility to soften their heart. Only the Spirit can do that. So you're gonna get two responses. And then you need to learn there's different ways to engage with the two groups. The ones that say, all right, I'm kind of open to hearing more. What does this mean? Those are the folks that you can have great conversation with and just let God do it according to his timing, but just kind of keep presenting the truth to them. But those that say, man, I, I'm, I don't care what you're talking about. In fact, I'm going to make fun of you. I'm going to mock you. What do you do with them? You pray for them. You pray hard for them. Because a hard-hearted soul is in grave danger. Unless God supernaturally softens that heart, that person is in grave danger. Now, what's true always about mockers? What's always true about mockers? They are always far worse off than the people that they are mocking. Isn't that true? Because you mock out of a hardened heart. You mock out of a shallow self-esteem that needs to put someone else down to make you feel better about yourself, right? Pray for those people. Get on your knees for those people and let the Holy Spirit soften their hearts. But with this first, first group, then you have an opportunity. What does this mean? Then you have an opportunity to really kind of share with them. Here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Let me spell it out for you. That's exactly what Peter is about to do. The rest of chapter 2, we're going to get to it next week. Um, Peter's sermon, that culminates with a clear invitation. All right? That's what you can do. That's, that's, you're, you're setting yourself up early on by you're proclaiming the glories of God. Some people will say, tell me more. Some people will mock you. You pray for the ones that mock you. You share more with the people that invite you. And all the while, this is all the spirit that's at work in this. Okay, what's the big idea of this text? How are we doing on time? Not real well. Talk fast, Rob. (laughs) What's the big idea of this text? Here we go. It talks a lot about tongues. You know, it talks a lot about these miracles, but it's not primarily about those things. It's primarily about the church doing and being exactly what God called the church to do and be. It's the literal embodiment of the DNA of the church from Acts 1.8. Remember, you will receive power. They got it. Power from who? The Holy Spirit. For what purpose? To be witnesses. You see that you see Acts 1.8 being lived out in this Day of Pentecost, perfectly. It's all right here. In fact, Lloyd last week talked about three words. Let's put these three words, Charlie, on the screen. They'll come up here in just a minute. Um, power, spirit, witnesses. These are the three key words of Acts 1-8, three of the key words of the whole book. Let's talk about how these are being lived out in the, the day of Pentecost here for the early church. Power, Greek, dynamis, dynamite, Right? Dynamite or, or anything like this power is the ability to do something that you could not do on your own apart from it. That's what power is. What was it that these early Christians are now doing that they could not do 20 minutes before? Literally, what are they doing? They're speaking Swahili and French. You know, what? You know, they, they, not those languages, but they're speaking those ancient languages that were known in dialects at the time. They could not do that 20 minutes before. They've now received power. Who does the power come from? Always the pneuma, the spirit, the wind, the breath of God, literally. It's like uh, Lloyd talked about this. Um, It's it's so helpful for you to realize that this birthing of the church is parallel to To the creation of mankind in Genesis 1 and 2 when God breathed breath and an an, an, an inanimated creation now has life. The the church prior to the arrival of the Spirit was just a shell. There's 120 people hiding in an upper room. Powerless to do anything apart from... The animation of the Holy Spirit that gave them the power to do what they could not do before. What's the purpose of all this? It always comes back to being witnesses. Right? This is the purpose. You receive power from the person of the Spirit for the purpose of being witnesses of Christ. It's all right here. Now, here's where I want to apply this. And I'm going to give you a, a very practical tool that I think you can use today and this week, even as you begin praying in these 40 days. There is a basic yet critical idea about the Spirit in this text that I think most of us miss. And here it is. We have been given the Holy Spirit because we need the Holy Spirit. I know that doesn't sound very profound, all right? we, but, but just think about this. You need the Holy Spirit to live out your purpose, not just your religious purpose, your life purpose. To experience abundant life, life that is true life, it's found in living out your purpose as a witness. A witness of grace, a witness of redemption. You should be speaking it, you should be embodying it, you should be living it. Every breath, in a sense, was given to you for the purpose of being a witness of the animating spirit of God that you have received through Christ. Human beings fully alive, living in front of a world that desperately needs life lived out for them. You see, this is our purpose, and you cannot do that apart from the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see throughout the book of Acts and other places is every single believer in Christ has the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually driving down the highway with the engine at full throttle, you see. You have the Spirit. The engine is sitting right there in the car. And some of you, some of us, including me in this, just kind of sitting in the driveway doing the religious thing. Well, this is kind of fun, I guess. But it doesn't really seem to work. Here's another analogy for you. Um, Imagine that you were going to dig a tunnel. I don't really know why you would dig a tunnel, but just roll with this, and you, you're, pretty, you're pretty okay at the beginning because you got a shovel, you know, maybe you're giving out little tools or drills, or I don't know what you have, and then you hit like a, a slab of granite, and you're like, I'll go around it. Oops, you know, you keep going 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet, it's still going. You're, you do some like geo measurements, and you find out this thing is like miles long, right, this slab of rock. I can't go around it. I'll have to go through it. You are powerless to go through that granite apart from dynamite apart from power you see so then you you know all of a sudden you realize i've had this dynamite all along you see i was stuck in my spiritual life i felt like i was nothing there and i've had this power all along now how do you light the fuse right how do you engage the power of the spirit that's where this has to go if you have the spirit Because you're a believer in Christ, but you feel like you're just sort of stuck against the wall in your struggle to actually live out your spiritual life in a way that has any energy to it. How do you like the fuse? This is where I want to give you a help. Um, I actually think that our culture is pretty dead set against us depending on the power of the Spirit. And here's why we live in a culture that shuns dependency and idolizes independence. We live in a culture that wants to say, I got this. You know, we don't like to pull over and ask for directions. We don't like to go to counseling. We don't like to admit need. We don't like to call somebody else and ask for help. We don't like to admit that we're in a ditch and we need someone to come and pull us out and be a brother or be a sister to us. We don't like to be needy. And yet you have the power That's available. It's right there. Y'all, do you remember that that time when when the disciples were trying to cast out a demon that was in a boy and they couldn't do it and Jesus shows up and he does it easily and later they say, why couldn't we do it? And the answer was, because you didn't pray. In other words, you didn't ask. That's what prayer is among other things, is just coming and saying, I can't do it on my own. I need you, God. How often in your spiritual life are you crying out, I can't do this. I need you. I'm needy. There's part of you that resists that, right? Some more than others. There's a part of you that we don't like to be a mess. You are. You're a glorious mess. And apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, you're stuck. Now, this is not a name it, claim it theology. All right, this doesn't mean that every time you ask for help, suddenly your marriage gets right back in place and you're healed and the person you're laying hands on every single time is healed. But listen, aren't these the things that God asks us to ask for, right? Shouldn't we be praying with faith? Shouldn't we be saying, God, do this. You you asked me to ask you and I'm gonna ask you boldly because I believe there's a power that spoke the creation into being that's actually right here with me. I dare not sit in the driveway without turning on the ignition and asking your spirit to do something big. And so this is what I'm going to invite you into in these 40 days. In fact, I, I want to give you a, a little bit of a formula of a prayer. I don't love formulaic prayers. and Well, actually, you know, in some ways, uh, they're, they're scriptural, right, in, in, in a sense. But let me say this. There is a way that you can pray that I think might start to unlock Something. If you're like me, someone that feels like too often I just feel stuck spiritually, like I'm not moving. And I'm going to put it on the screen. I'm going to give you a couple examples, and then we'll have some time to actually pray it. i got, I got to wrap this up here. Here's the prayer. Father, I don't have the power to fill in the blank, so I'm depending on your spirit to fill in the blank. Now, I want you to think about how practical this prayer could be. You, you, you wake up in the morning and, you know, many many, many of us, you kind of wake up with this little bit of this dread, right? It's just like, man, another day. I've got to go to work today. I can't face that guy again. I can't I can't go to that meeting where that guy's going to give me that look or he's going to cut me down. Or, or moms, it's just like, how am I going to face another day with my kids engaging them and, and having patience for this? Or you're, you're, you're in a struggling relationship, a struggling marriage, and you're just like, I, I just don't think we can make it. Father, I don't have the power to fill in the blank. Go to this meeting. Be patient with my kids. Engage with my spouse. Be kind and patient to the people that drive me nuts every single day. I don't have the power to have the discipline to do the life of Christ the way that God has called me to do it. Guys, this is true for me. I don't. I don't. So then where your prayer goes next is so Because I am needy, therefore, I am depending on your spirit to do through me what I cannot do. I'm depending on your spirit to be patient, to be present. I'm depending on your spirit to share, to speak. I'm depending on your spirit to make it through another day. I'm depending on your spirit to get out of bed. I'm depending on your spirit to have a conversation with my husband or wife that's going to be really hard. And I know it's going to go bad. I'm depending on your spirit to actually give a phone call to that person that I've been ignoring or or, or unreconciled with and just say, I'm sorry. I'm depending on your spirit to be in me and do through me what you have called me to do that I cannot do apart from the power. This is how this prayer goes, and I want to invite you to pray it with me. So let's pray. The band's going to play. And Father, I just want to begin, as we come to you in prayer right now, I want to begin with the space for this congregation to pray this prayer. And so, congregation, right now, I want you to think about just one area of your life, one thing. This is just in the privacy of your own prayer to God. And I I want you to pray this prayer around that one thing. Father, I don't have the power to, so I'm depending on your spirit to. And I'll give you just about 30 seconds right now to pray that. church as you begin to pray this prayer this week I want to encourage you just keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed I I want to encourage you to pray it very specifically I'm going to pray that this prayer will come to your mind as you wake up in the morning as you go into meetings that are difficult as you engage with your children as you teach as you work as you ride in your car as you get ready for the day and 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 as you lay down at night And I'm going to pray that this prayer will become more and more specific in your life as you're confessing your need and also receiving what's been offered to you, the power of the Spirit. And Father, as we continue in a spirit of prayer, I thank you for sending this Spirit. Our minds cannot conceive the power that is in us. We do not have the capacity to understand or even embrace what it means for God to dwell in us. And I pray that even in this study of Acts, you would explain it. You would open our minds to it a little more. You'd soften our hearts to it a little bit more. So that we would begin to live with power by the Spirit to be witnesses. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me go ahead and get you on your feet. We're going to sing one more time. I want us to sing the song that Tim taught us at the beginning, This song that Tim wrote. We're going to be singing it frequently throughout the series. Here's what this song does. It expresses our dependence upon God and says, God, would you allow your kingdom to come? And so that's how I want us to leave in that spirit this morning. So let's sing this song together.